Hello, and welcome to the Retech Podcast. My name is Stuart Pringle, and I'm your host. I am on a mission to chat with interesting people who are doing good things in renewables and technology. Why does this matter? Well, without new thinking and innovation as an industry, renewable energy production is not going to hit the lofty goals it has been set. In each podcast, I'm going to be chatting with different people in the industry who are doing their bits to help drive change. And this week, I'm in conversation with Becky Drake from Arup. Becky, hello and welcome. Hello, Stuart. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Okay, Becky, thank you so much for coming along. Let's start with a bit of background. Can you tell me how you ended up working in renewables? Yeah, so that's a really great question. And I guess, like I think a lot of people have stumbled into renewables, but actually from a kind of a core set of values or an area in which I want to have a significant kind of impact in the world. And I think this actually kind of dates back to the fact that I grew up on the Isles of Scilly. So it's always kind of a, a bit of a unique facts about me that I like to throw in there and being surrounded kind of by water and in an island community is something that's very much meant that I was um, very close to nature growing up and wanted the work that I did to be interesting technically I was always interested in sciences but having a positive impact to do my bit towards a sustainable future and so through that I decided that engineering was a great place to start in terms of giving me some tools to try and have that impact that I'd like to see myself contributing. And then as I started to explore disciplines within um, engineering, very much renewables and renewable energy generation and the support of that, particularly as through the course of my kind of university career. And then as I started my career in Arup 10 years ago now, actually, you know, the, the climate breakdown agenda, um, really important kind of topic has been starting to be elevated to the point where we're getting really good conversation and appreciation of, around that today. So, yeah, for me, it kind of came from the, the sort of the values that I hold and trying to strive to get into a position that I could play my small part in terms of having a, that positive impact to a more sustainable future. Awesome. So it sounds like it was kind of destined to be, in a way, um, from your from your background. <laughs> so some would say, but not necessarily one that I foresaw ten years ago or more. Fair enough. Okay. Well, look, now that we know um, a little bit about you and and your background, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, at Arup, about your role? Absolutely. So I'm the offshore wind digital lead at Arup. I have a background. So I said already that I've been with Arup for 10 years and my background is civil structural engineering. Um, so designing the foundations of offshore wind foundations and also in the kind of ports, maritime supply and logistics space, again, for offshore wind farms. And I wanted to move into a space that I hope will see us kind of driving forward acceleration and change in in the positive direction that we need to to really see us achieving the ambitious targets that the offshore wind industry is setting and, and looking to grow against and so for me that's very much digital technology and that brings those two together so that nexus of the um, very much engineering technical background with digital technologies and what we mean by that is kind of internet era technologies so the ability to kind of use the cloud, bring data science 
and approaches and application into the way we tackle some of the sectors and most significant kind of challenges and really use that to allow us to more quickly understand solution spaces and come up with more innovative approaches and solutions to see us um, really hitting those ambitious targets. Excellent. And it's exactly that confluence of the two things, which is why I was so keen to, to get you on and have a chat with you, because um, you're you know right in the crosshairs of those two, you know, that digital mutual renewable space. So um, I think a really sensible question to ask you then would be, look, you've just mentioned all these ambitious targets. Um, what do you see as some sort of the biggest challenges um, the industry faces in, in, in achieving them? So I think the biggest challenge, um, regardless of whether you're thinking about emerging offshore wind uh, economies or established offshore wind countries, you know, where we've got a couple of decades now of offshore wind projects being in the pipeline and contributing to the um, energy generation of a country is the um, grid and the network capacity. So the ability to take the electrons from where they're produced offshore um, take them onshore and then take them to where the demand is. And as we get um, an ever more kind of complex picture of more and more offshore wind farms coming online, which is fantastic, and more re renewable energy being generated, because of course it's not just offshore wind, that balancing of the supply and the demand where electricity is generated versus where it is needed, and the flexibility within the system to cope with the fact that renewables are intermittent it's kind of the, one of the biggest challenges and there's a quite a lot of work going on in this space particularly in the UK at the moment in terms of trying to bring a more integrated approach to planning around that and break down some of the challenges around the fact that investment in grid is often restricted by um, it's kind of short investment periods or windows linked to the fact that management of the grid is a natural monopoly and so that's kind of one of the biggest areas but then following that on from that i'd say planning um so being able to consent and get these projects through in a much quicker time frame than is currently the case and, and in the uk that's actually up to a 10-year time frame so when we're talking about some of these targets so now 50 gigawatts by 2030 in the uk and and equally ambitious targets in other countries that needs to quicker so we need to be able to get um confidence in grid connectivity for the individual wind farms and we need to be able to get them through the planning process much faster than is currently the case and again work is being done um looking at that so the uk government are looking at that along with renewable uk national grid um in the uk and others but really moving towards that integrated whole systems thinking approach and planning cycle and doing that more rapidly and really using data and more digital approaches to support that to enable that to be done at pace and with a broader evidence base is, is sort of where we need to get to and sorry I've kind of jumped in a little bit into some where I see kind of digital technology taking a role there as well as what the kind of the two key challenges for me are. No we don't need to apologize it's, it's, it's good it's good um, and I, I think the the topic of uh, planning is particularly um, sort of acute in the UK at the moment, given that we've got a, a zombie government not really being able to commit to very much right now. Yeah, I, I think certainly where we are, it's kind of 
challenging times with a degree of political instability and absolutely the, the primary thing we need to make sure is still the case throughout this period and all of the other challenges um, that are being faced around the world at the moment is that commitment to net zero and making sure that we are doing everything that we all can. Very good. Okay. And um, as you mentioned, you've already touched on a couple of things, but what other, um, what else needs to happen if, what, if we're going to see some progress, if we're going to see some change um, beyond sort of the, the governmental will, what else, what else needs to line up? So we definitely need to move to a coordinated and integrated approach across the industry and the broader energy sector. So, so beyond just offshore wind, kind of beyond renewables. And for me, digitalization is critical in ensuring a coordinated approach towards that transition to net zero and really the success of a truly whole system approach. And that kind of stems from knowledge and data sharing all the way through the kind of the planning and consenting process and period that we talked about, environmental impact assessment, design, fabrication, installation all the way through into your operations and the maintenance. And taking digital approaches or digitalization across the sector, right from its sort of most basic and deepest level up to some really innovative approaches, incorporating artificial intelligence and machine learning is what we need to be able to accelerate at pace an optimized process from my perspective. And I think that starts really with aligning around a view of best practice data management. And again, there's work being done kind of right now published in the last few months. So with the energy systems catapult and offshore renewable energy catapult coordinating that, and there is now an offshore energy data strategy task force for the first time that's really gonna help move that forwards in giving us consistency across the sector in terms of how we talk about data and ensuring that we can move to data-driven approaches to give us a broader evidence base around the solutions and the decisions that we're making. So do you see the, for example, the, the task force you just mentioned, is that as a, a positive development that's, that's, that's come in recently? Definitely. I think it's really positive in that it's kind of primarily to date, it's been convening industry, different organizations and starting to open up and have that conversation around what data sharing um, is already in place, what more we can do and how we can then start to build upon more of an open data by default approach and an open data triage process to make sure that the industry as a whole can start to benefit and move forward from access to broader data sets to start to really see innovation. So definitely, I think that's a really a really positive thing, and certainly at Arup, we're doing what we can to support delivery of the, the kind of the key recommendations out of that to support our clients and support the, the steering group where we can. Okay, excellent. Um, now, come on, we can do all this good stuff, but if people aren't going to use it, it's it's all in vain. <laughs> so, uh, how much do you see sort of that that classic adoption? Um, obstacle as, as a challenge that lies ahead? So I, I think that is absolutely always a challenge and I moment in the sector everybody's going through their own kind of really broad digital transformation journey um, but examples are what's going to break this down um, positive examples as well as lessons learned and yeah you know, we've been leading these kind of data-driven approaches 
with governments and developers and we're seeing that the implementation of consistent tools and processes using those data-driven insights that give you more insight than you would have had previously from say more traditional approaches and the speed within which you can iterate around solutions as well so kind of whatever stage of the offshore wind farms life cycle is really is really beneficial and, and sort of seeing those case studies i think really opens up the conversation and starts to break down barriers around adoption and so a key example here for me would be the future offshore and scenarios project that our baby puma and offshore renewable energy catapult delivered in april for the uk government department of business energy and industrial strategy the crown estate and crown estate scotland and we modeled hundreds of different potential future scenarios of offshore wind deployment around the uk and we took a data-driven approach that brought together for the first time levelized cost of energy with geospatial considerations within a combined technical approach to be able to consider them hand in hand and really rapidly run multiple different scenarios. And what that's given is a really broad solution space to support more informed decision making going forward so it's examples like that where i think you can you know you can really see the value like very broadly across the sector and the more we have those kind of good examples the more that you know that that adoption will hopefully move forward that is absolutely fascinating stuff so given that you've been involved in th this report from say a, a uk perspective um, and we you talked earlier about the big targets that the industry is setting itself. You've run the data, looked at the scenarios. How, how confident are you feeling that um, um, that you know it is possible to achieve the kind of targets, the kind of big gigawatt headline numbers to be at net zero by by 2050? Do you, do 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 you feel positive about about that? Definitely, I feel positive about us getting there and um, to, to contribute to kind of offshore wind role to net zero by 2050. I think the fifth, honestly, the 50 gigawatt target by 2030 is really stepping up ambition against the kind of the previous 40 gigawatt target. And it's it's good in that it gives us a target and that we should all strive towards making the changes that are needed to try to get there. But within the current environment of our current planning process and the length of time that that takes, you know, we're already at 2022. So you can see that 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 is a very real challenge. Um, so yeah, going back to kind of those key industry challenges very much, the, there needs to be some really hard work that's already started. There's already some um, really good progress and thinking being done both on the kind of the grid side of things with the um, holistic network design coming out recently and the offshore transmission network reviewers taking those sort of first steps on that journey. Um, review of the planning process and really bringing in for example a digital environmental impact assessment and kind of data-driven and digital approaches into those processes to help speed them up but still maintaining the same if not a higher level of quality and diligence in the review of the decisions that are made the other area that i've not touched on yet which is a, a key challenge to delivering those targets is supply chain capacity and this kind of applies in the context of global supply chain um, but also in the UK specifically as well you know we've got significant targets and we need to really support invest in um, 
and really align and coordinate across the supply chain capability. We have the investment that's needed um, to get the supply chain to where we can support this level of growth and make sure that there is kind of surety on um, the pipeline of projects to enable and unlock that investment and really see us delivering against these targets. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, you and I have both sat in the same conferences hearing you know about the strain on supply chain globally and particularly and in, in, in emerging markets and, and you know from a skills point of view tni fabrication you know in, there's everything um is going to be under huge pressure um to, to deliver at a global scale what's been planned and i think you know my view is i think that that's going to be one of the real pressure points that the industry experiences you know between now and 2030 for sure Absolutely. And I think that's where, you know, there'll be a lot of um, approaches that taken to hopefully support building that capability, that capacity in the UK and, and globally. And again, I think digitalization in bringing efficiencies and in supporting an understanding of how that current capacity and what investment increased capacity would give us in terms of meeting the need and the demands in a across time will be really um very much what's needed there and is something that that we're looking at and is is a really exciting space as well because essentially at the end of the day it's a you know it might be driven by the demands of a target but it's the growth of a really exciting sector and job creation and um you know, ability for a lot of regional and community involvement in the sector going forward. So, yeah, super excited about what the future holds. Indeed, it's exciting times. Well, I think the, the message there overall is positive, despite the size of the challenges um, that are ahead. And I think given that you've just talked about the, um, the, 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 from a positive point of view, from a career point of view, how exciting it is to be in the midst of all of this. Um, there's a final question I'd like to ask you, and it's one that I'm keen and to ask everyone who comes on this podcast. And that is this. If you were talking to your younger self um, who was wanting to get into the industry, what one piece of advice would you give? One piece of advice. I'd say go and explore and kind of take the opportunities. That's starting to grow into more than one piece of advice, but effectively That's okay. go well, and explore. Let's not be too strict. It's all, it's all, it's all, it's all good thought. <laughs> Tell me, what do you mean? So across the offshore wind and the broader renewables industry, there are so many different career paths that you could take, jobs, roles, and absolutely we need, we need interested, intelligent, excited people to come and join the sector and really support on delivery like as we've just been talking about um over the last few minutes we've got significant targets a lot of growth that needs to happen and, and we need people to join and and start to have equally exciting kind of careers exploring this and so very much i think it's a you can define your own career path there is whatever your technical interests your kind of people interests there there is absolutely a role for everybody really and what an exciting kind of space to to say that you're working in um in the renewable sector at the moment really helping all do our our part however small individually but towards that collective um hopefully 
achieving net zero by 2050, if not sooner. Um, so yeah, definitely explore the roles that are out there because there's so much to offer. Absolutely. Uh, so there you have it. If you're listening to this and wanting to get into the industry, we need you. Um, and it also makes you feel better about yourself because my little four-year-old boy thinks Daddy does something to do with fixing wind turbines, and that's good enough for me. So it's it's all good stuff. Um, Becky, I'd like to say thank you so much for coming along. Um, I know how busy you are, um, so it's really good of you to give up your time. If you enjoyed what Becky's had to say and you're interested in her work and what her team at Arup are doing, and Becky's very easy to find on LinkedIn and is active there, and I'm quite sure we'd be happy to be contacted to pick up the conversation elsewhere. Um, so I just want to say thank you, thank you to Becky, thank you to you for listening. Um, this is the first season of this new podcast, so your feedback is very, very welcome. Um, and finally, if you've got this far um, through the recording and would like to interview for a future episode, then please get in contact with myself. Uh, my name is Stuart Pringle. I'm also very easy to find on LinkedIn. And um, hopefully um, we'll be along for a new episode soon. Um, thank you very much, Becky. Thank you, Stuart.